Hey folks, it's Tony Russo from So What's Your Story, and this week we have the final installment from our interviews that we did at the Western Maryland Independent Literature Festival at Frostburg State University. Hi, I'm Richard Peabody, uh, publisher, writer, teacher, editor from uh, Washington, D.C. area, Arlington, Virginia, though I'm a D.C. native. That's a, that's a rare bird. That's like, that's almost like a, a New York native at this point. Um, yeah, I guess uh, D.C. is a very transitional city. Uh, in fact, the only time that people have stayed after an election mm. was after Ford. All the people from Michigan stayed. <laughs> Usually they go back to wherever you know, the president was from. They go back. And so uh, you you run a couple you run a press you run a uh, literary magazine yeah. and you and you teach can you I guess you said that Gargoyle has been has been in publication for forty three years yep that's tell me how you get there like how do you have we all want to just be our own publishers but how how did you how did you make that well first thing you have to be a masochist yeah I can imagine uh, for real. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's crazy. Um, I have more um, interns and readers now than I ever have, mm-hmm. um, but I still do the main, you know, bulk of it because interns and readers want to pick work, right? For the magazine, <laughs> they don't want to go to the post office and <laughs> right and uh, stamp uh, envelopes. So it's a it's a kind of a different thing. Um, how have I kept going? It's just because. I guess it's my passion to publish other people. When I started, uh, there were three of us. Um, the other two quit after the third issue because mm. they just went, oh, this is going to cost a lot of money. Um, and it does. Uh, but it's satisfying to me. Uh, I've learned from publishing writers mm-hmm. you know, what to do, what not to do. Um, and the readers have had an education Oh, when they read the slush pile, they go, oh, my God. <laughs> Why are they sending this? Um, for a, and you learn things. I mean, for a long time, I was seeing, uh, you know, 100 variations of Raymond Carver stories a week. Right. And you're like, oh, my God. You know, just... And I, I guess previous editors had Hemingway. Um, nothing really stands out right now. Uh, but we are a magazine that has um, a very wide palette um once someone joked in a review that obviously they take anything they're sent (laughs) uh, which isn't true uh but we have a wider palette than most people wider focus uh because we publish and and also write uh realism on the one hand Mm -hmm. and experimental writing on the other um i find both can be great um they're welcoming to me but in this country for some reason the, the other is anathema to the you know they they hate each other and that's strange because in europe and in latin and south america magical realism is great you know and they do realism too they don't have a problem i wonder if it has to do with this notion that you really need to hit 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 your niche and just keep hitting it until until it breaks open like a little bank and you get and you get some return on it i think well i i tell beginning writers if they're going to write novels you know, try for one a year, because that's the only way you're going to get anywhere. Right. It's like the, it's like the, once you have a stack of books, they kind of take you more seriously. Um, and a lot of people, I mean, even George Pelicanos, the the 
noir uh, detective mystery writer in DC, who I love. I think he's great because uh, he gets all he gets DC right. Right. Um, but he uh, was publishing with St. Martin's Press for years before he had a, a before he he really sort of hit the big time, and then he moved on to different publishers and made more money that way. Uh, St. Martin's is. You know, I've published for St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. It's a good press. I liked it, my experience there. But there's not a lot of comeback on that. Um, so I'm fascinated when someone is with, a, you know, one of the smaller bigs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, you've got to pay your dues, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Part of it. <laughs> so what, when you started out writing, what was, what was the motivation to get from doing the writing to doing the publishing. How, how old were you? You were, you were, you, you oh, I started were, the magazine when I was 25. Wow. I was fresh out of grad school, went to American university. Um, in my experience is, is weird. Cause even though I grew up in uh, Bethesda, Maryland and in DC, mm. uh, we never read anything but the British. And it sort of assumed in the school system that American work wasn't good enough. Oh, it was interesting. So things changed while I was in grad school. So the first time I ever read Hemingway and Fitzgerald was in grad school. Really? It's like, wow, American writers. <laughs> and the first living writer I ever heard of was uh, James Grady. He had just written um, uh, Six Days of the Condor, which became the movie Three Days of the Condor. Um, and they did a big feature on him in the post. And I was like, oh, my God. It's a writer, and he's like almost my age. <laughs> but I just assumed you had to be dead to get published. You know? Right, it's a, it's a whole new world, um, and that's from you know a really high-profile, really good educational system. Yes, we didn't re- read the living. Wow, you know. So anyway, that, so I went from there. I mean, it kind of one of the catalysts was the founding of the Writer Center, uh, Writer Center in Bethesda. It was a coming together of writers and poets from mm-hmm. all over town and different cliques coming together. And so I'm sitting there and one of the guys at this meeting, at, it was a, at a book fair, um, sat across from me in grad school. I didn't know him. Right. But he was running the magazine that had started two doors down, two stores down from where our magazine had started. Because the other two guys with me had worked at Brentano's and Chevy Chase, and he was coming out of the record store down like two doors. Like, what? And so, like, <laughs> that became this huge pulse. I mean, everyone was connected. We were all sharing information. We had a place to go to have readings, and it was fantastic in the early days. Right. Absolutely fantastic. And- I always worry about, in, in, in my experiences, I, I'm, I've never with a writer's group for very long because it, it does, it, 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 there's like this little balance and all of a sudden, fracture. Politics. Yeah. It gets political. And, uh, you know, like I said, are you experimental or are you into realism? Right. So wait a minute, you're a language poet? Or are you, a, you know, a, 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 a poet of form mm-hmm. and rhyme? You know, it's like that's, and they've become the new rebels. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I, I didn't I mean, know free that. Free verse was the rebellion, and I thought, well, we've put rhyme to death. Right. And it's back. And they're being seen as the outlaws. You go, what? You know, it's like not the beat style, but the rhythm style is the outlaw. Like, just weird. <laughs> Live long enough, you'll see it all. And so I'd like, to, I'd like you to talk a little bit about balancing writing, writing your own stuff and submitting your own stuff and also reading 
and choosing other writers to publish. That it seems impossible. It seems and, yeah. And then I had two kids, and that <laughs> drove a big spike into it. Um, but I, I, my natural metabolism is to start writing around midnight and write till five in the morning. Mm-hmm. But you know, once you have kids, you can't do that. But when I go to a colony or go somewhere to you know just you know woodshed and write, right, that system comes back. And then I have to readjust when I go home to like, oh my god, I gotta get up. <laughs> um, but I found, I mean, originally when we started the magazine, we read all year, and I found that we've been making that shorter and shorter. Um, for a while, when I realized that most magazines didn't read in the summer, Gargoyle read in the summer. Uh-huh. And we got everybody's best work because they had nowhere else to send it. Ah. So now a lot of people have that idea now. <laughs> and I'm not saying they're imitating us, but we were doing it. Um, and so now it's shorter than that. So, so my official stance is we read from uh, this year it's going to be July 1st until the end of the month. But we accept and reject as we go. And so it, it's not like a contest where as long as you're there by the deadline, right. you're considered. No, I, I close it if I'm full. And lately it's been 14 to, 10 to 14 days. Oh, so once you get so enough. Close, I'm done. <laughs> and that's enough to fill a 350 or 400 page issue. But that makes perfect sense. Like why, like if you have what you need, why get more? And also the, you know, because we live in a time now where um, people are sending uh, the same submission multiple right. places, um, you can lose things if you sit on them and try to decide. Uh, whereas before we'd sit on the work that was the maybe pile right. and think, well, you know, if something else, you know, if if uh, Church Pelicanos doesn't come through, we'll run by these. <laughs> um, uh, but so now it's, you know, you really got to take it. The minute you want it, uh, you can still ponder a couple of things, and you may lose them. Right. But that that happens all the time now. Um, I've never published an issue exactly the way I wanted it, because I always lose something, or um, someone yanks it uh, for various different reasons. They got a better, better offer. <laughs> better offer. <laughs> um, yeah, that happens too. Well, not, it- not that we forget them. Yeah. <laughs> right, but yeah. Well, it's always tough for for as a guy who submits when when uh, when a publication says we don't accept mul- multiple submissions and we'll get back to you within a year or a year and a half yeah. now. <laughs> it's like forget. Well, some of the really big lit mags still don't take uh, you know emails. You yeah, put it in. Uh, yeah. put it in. A they want they want they want paper. It. Yeah, and I. <laughs> And whereas other magazines, I mean, I'm getting to the point where, you know, don't send me snail mail submissions because, you know, you obviously don't have a clue. Right. What am I going to do with it? You know, and because and I still need the word file to put in the magazine. Um, I'm doing a book right now with someone who is basically a homeless woman in Mexico. Um, she's American. Uh, she was a great writer. Um, she's never had a book out. So I'm trying to do that. But she doesn't have a computer. And all of her stuff was played on NPR. And so you actually, if they don't have a printout, you actually have to transcribe it. Wow. I don't want to do that. That's awful. I don't, you know, that's awful. <laughs> that's like, you know, I don't care who you are. That's all. It's just not the way things are done now. Yeah. You send me the word file. I pop it into the desktoper and they start laying it out. I mean, it's all instant now. Right. And it's the, the world as I knew it. When, when we started Gargoyle, when you used the computer, you got, 
one continuous line of type and you had to cut it and paste it literally cutting paste yeah, yeah literally cutting paste. <laughs> i was so good at that and i don't know how to desktop i'm not a tech head i can't wow you know and it, it was like we have it we're doing a new website right now and it's on wordpress mm-hmm. because our website's 20 years old and the kids who work on the press for me they don't they look at the site and they go i don't know what this means because it's it's like another generation or two generations ago right of computer language and they don't even want to mess with it and so now the new one's going up on website we're cannibalizing it and putting right. it together well i i always find that when you're when you're making the the technological jump it's i don't want to be a first adopter so that i know what's going on but i also don't want to fall too far behind so that i don't have a clue and the faster things move the harder that gets that the harder that gets to do i can't keep up with that and write too yes um in terms of the writing i mean that takes time um i we do live in a culture and this is this is part of being a publisher now is that except you know you write a poem tonight it's published tomorrow online right and i read a year because it takes me a year to get the money together to do the issue <laughs> right so when i say i'm reading this july then i'll be publishing next july that's the way it works it takes right. me a year if you sold a book to a mainstream publisher in new york and they gave you the contract today it wouldn't come out for a year that's the business it, that's how long things take right um so this idea that instant gratification is too slow is amazing to me and I do have people yank things because, you know, someone wants to put it up tomorrow. And you're like, okay, yeah, all right, <laughs> because I can't do that. Right. Because I'm not an online magazine. You know, we've always wanted to have an online presence, but basically that's the archive going up online. Right. Um, but, and, you, and you also publish books books. Yeah, no, we've done, I guess it's about 20 books now. And did you, did you start that at the same time, or did you decide to add that at some no, point? No, originally, uh, Pekar Press was, uh, the, the name comes from a, from a Sean O'Casey play, Juno and the Pekar. Um And we wanted that as the umbrella. Uh-huh. But we did a fiction anthology, God, I don't know, sometime in the 70s. And uh, a story came in late, past the deadline, and it was so good. And I just said, i got to do this as a book. And as it turned out, I knew the guy who'd published the first book by this writer, Michael Brandoli, and uh, I mimicked the style of the first publication, so they sort of mirrored each other, uh-huh. which was great. And we took, sent it out. Uh, Guy Davenport gave it a blurb. Um, fantastic book. And he later went on to have a book out with, um, I've forgotten who, um, but a collection, and that story was in it. And it felt great. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, things like that do happen. And I think every time I, you know, I did quit for a little while, and every time I think about quitting, I get sucked back into it because the work comes in that's so good that everyone's ignoring, and you think, i got to publish this. And that is still a passion that drives me. But, you know, you, your own work can sort of be diminished during that time because you're not paying attention to that. I mean, there's a lot of fires you've got going. Yeah. There, so it's tough. And so do you... Do you have a? You don't have a target like I put out twenty books a year or anything like no, that. Just, no, I'm like, <laughs> we're talking twenty in forty three years. Uh, I do. I am. We've done a lot of guys' books, mm-hmm. and I have four women's books coming. One is in galleys 
uh, uh, by uh, Ramola D. And it's a book of uh, Indian uh, immigrants in America, in D.C. in particular. Um, and she's a great writer. She's uh, also a very political writer. Um, and a lot of her, she's got a, a blog where she waxes on the current situation. Right. Um, and she's tough. Uh, and then I have uh, the Mexican, uh, the woman in Mexico, uh, who was a really big deal 20 years ago on NPR. Mm-hmm. And is just, you know, living hand to mouth. Um, and then I have uh, my partner in crime, in literary crime, uh, Lucinda Ebersole, uh died two years ago and uh, sudden cancer. Um, and I wanted to publish uh, her unpublished works. There's another collection of short stories and a novella, and I'm going to do them as two separate books. Um, so that manuscript's ready to go. Um, and then I have another manuscript by a dead writer, um, <laughs> which I've been doing a lot. Uh, but this is by uh, Tina Falker, a British poet, whose work was thought lost uh, after she died. Um, suddenly mm-hmm. and that's been like also like 15 to 20 years ago um, and her daughter just contacted me and said would I be interested in publishing it and I looked at it all and I thought wow I could do this that's pretty cool she was a big deal in, in England in London in the 70s and 80s um, and uh, and it's missed so it's now I did I get did I get the the second the third woman you mentioned who the the friend of yours um lucinda yeah she thank she's you. one of the people who convinced me to bring gargoyle back and this is after she sort of tricked me into opening a bookstore with her because <laughs> what i discovered when we were first there and we were like fixing the store up our way was that she'd never worked retail <laughs> and i went what you tricked me. Um, <laughs> so she handled the the, uh, the more mainline business stuff, um, and I handled a reading series and bought comic books and CDs. And but did you say you're publishing an unfinished work of hers? Uh, unpublished. Oh. Yeah. No. I, she had a uh, she she had one novel with St. Martin's, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a great novel. Um, it's called Death and Equality. Equality is a small town in Alabama. And no one would publish it because it was short stories. So she figured out a way to make it look like a novel in stories. Right. So she has a dying, a dying narrator in between the stories that hooks it all together. Brilliant idea. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, it's dark and it's funny as hell. Um, she was the um, funniest person I've ever known, basically. Um, I was the straight man <laughs> to her. Um, yeah, there you go. It must be it must be cool to be to be able to do that. Like one of the we were we were, we were talking about how this isn't a big money profession, mm. but but one of one of the payoffs is that you often get to do what you want. Yes, I pretty much get to do what I want now. Not always, but it, but I, you know, Lucinda and I didn't always agree on everything, and we were you know it was deals. Mm-hmm. It's like well, you can have that piece if I get this piece. <laughs> that you don't like you know and so that's the way we did it for i don't know from like 97 to to i mean she kind of dropped out in the last couple of years before she died mm-hmm. um and it wasn't because she was sick it's just she she bought a town in west virginia she sold her home near howard university and on ebay bid on a town in west virginia <laughs> and bought the whole town um which was amazing actually that you can do that yeah 
And she said, yeah, be careful what you click on. <laughs> um, so she was kind of dealing with farms, she had chickens, and you know, she had like 75 acres and owned the post office. And they, <laughs> the government was paying her money to rent the space. It's just wild. That's wild. And so, when you're when you're working now, I mean, obviously, as you get older, your work is gonna your work is gonna change a little bit. Mm. But I think you have the you've also been publishing for so much of your career that I, I do. You, do you imagine that that's even more affected the way you do your own writing? Well, I, again, you see what's out there. Um, I mean, I've done like 25 or six anthologies now, and I did four for St. Martin's, so I found out what the big leagues are like. Right. Uh, that was interesting. Um, and then I've done, uh, Lucinda and I did another anthology for uh, the New Press, which was kind of the, you know, the hip wing of Norton. Uh-huh. Um, and that was fun, but that book didn't do anything. Uh, it was an abortion anthology. <laughs> and we didn't choose sides. We ran things from both sides, but I think our stance was clear. Um, and it was called, uh, uh, line goes blank, Coming to Terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a terrible cover on it. And it didn't really sell the book. And it, that's unfortunate. Um, but it's, no one had done that. And uh, so it had Alice Walker in it and uh, uh, God, who else? Faulkner, uh, a bunch of people you've never heard of, uh, some translations. It was a really interesting mix. Uh, they did cut all the poetry out. We originally had poetry between every story, ah. uh, and they just killed that because poetry doesn't sell. So there you go. But that's the bigs, you know. You, you, but you'd expect, like, when you said that, I said, my first thought was that's a way I definitely would read a lot more poetry if it were if it were between tucked in yeah yeah, when I read when I read magazines when I read you know magazines that have poetry I always read the poetry and I always think about it and sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't but I'm more likely to I'm more likely to enjoy I'll seek out a poem in a magazine before I'll buy a book of poetry and I don't I, I don't know why well, I know readers who don't actually read a book of poems in order. And the poet may have spent a lot of time trying to create that. Right, a theme. But people kind of pick and choose. <laughs> right. And I think that's true in a magazine as well. Um, they don't read from the front to the back. Um, and because I did these anthologies, I did the four I did for St. Martin's with Lucinda were Mondo Barbie, which made us infamous, uh, Mondo Elvis, Mondo Marilyn Monroe, and then Mondo James Dean. And we gathered material that was out there already in the world. Mm-hmm. And then we had people write new things. And they were all combinations of poetry and prose. And that was our thing. That's what we wanted to do. So it was kind of like the magazine, mm-hmm. but on a theme. And uh, then we did three more, four more that never landed. And we were stunned. So I did one of, you know, er- Erotica was in. We did the Erotica book to top all Erotica books. We had. The uh, scene from the novel where the woman is sleeping with the porpoise. Uh, we had the scene from the novel Bear by a Canadian woman, Marion Engel, I think, uh, where the, the bear can't get it up, but he has a long tongue. <laughs> so she pours honey all over. I mean, so we had, I had one from, um, um, I, I think it's Sam Shepard, where he, he makes it with his guitar. I mean, we really didn't mess around, and no one would touch it. And I thought, wow. So I still haven't done that book. Then I did, then I did well, we did do a book called Sex and Chocolate, and it was kind of the same riff. Every story had to have sex, 
and chocolate, any kind of sex, any kind of chocolate. But it had to have both. Right. And we were fortunate that we had the woman from Chocolat, ah. um, who became famous in the interim while we were trying to sell this. So I, I, I wrote her and I said, well, you know, I know you're a big deal now and I can't afford to pay you. And she's like, oh, no, nah, cool. You were there first. So I was like, wow. That's, some people are really nice. That's classy, yeah. Not everybody. But some people are really nice. I mean, we lost hers. When we did the abortion book, we uh, wanted to run Hemingway's story, the, uh, Hills Like White Elephants, which right. is one of the best abortion stories ever written. And uh, listened to called The Hemingway Estate, and they hung up on her. They said, you want it for what? <laughs> Click. And that's how we ended up with Faulkner. You ruined that poor man's reputation. Well, I, lo- I, I, I had a Hemingway face. I loved Hemingway. Um, but... It's the estates you're dealing with, not the people generally. Right. And the estates want money, which is why you and I will be in the Norton Anthology before, you know. Well, and we were just, I was just talking with another poet, with, with another publisher. I wish I could tell you who it was. And I think it was she was saying how, you know, stop putting song lyrics in because I just have to take them out. You can't do it. Right, and you just want to say, and he was listening to Jimi Hendrix, and Hendrix said blah, and the and the state's like, no, Hendrix did not say that. You can't do that. You can't, you can't do it. And it's- but we did a Jimi Hendrix anthology, and everyone warned me, so I actually became an LLC because of this. They said, you know, they're litigious, and the state That's- will sue you. But a lot of the work had already been published. Uh, we had a couple of horror writers. That was interesting. <laughs> um, and then we, you know, it was a fun book to do. We did it as a tribute. Uh, we didn't use anyone's photograph. The the uh, cover designer got a Hendrix model. It looks like it's really him. Uh-huh. Did, it, did it real close with a great camera, and it looks fantastic. Um, and that was a fun book to do. Cause, but but the, the New York publishers wanted to cut all the, the uh, black poets out. You're like, what? <laughs> and I went to several of the poets, and I said, this, they don't want you guys in there. And they're like, well, yeah, so what else is new? And I went, yeah. Okay, so I'll do it myself. So I published it, and you know, it's been fun. It was it was a great book to do. Uh, Sherman Alexie's in it. Uh, you know, it's really really pretty cool book. Well, what's what's the title? Um, uh, you would ask me that. <laughs> uh, Sorry for the hard hitting questions. Damn, I don't remember. That's I'm getting old. I don't remember now. Um, <laughs> but it it er, Hendrix had to be in every story, or you had to connect with him somehow. So, uh, in in the Alexi story, he's connecting. His father claims to have been at Woodstock, mm-hmm. so he he comes through it that way. And then there are there are stories where women are staring at his poster, and uh, there's other stories that have the rest of the band, the original experience in it. Uh, it's fascinating to do to see what people are doing, and that and that's been the most fun for for me in doing it. What do they come up with? The new writers um, with the Barbie book, we had done uh, probably about fifty percent of that was in print. But the other 50% they wrote on a two-week turnaround because we were afraid someone would steal the idea. Wow. Um, and people who didn't want to write ended up writing because once you plant that idea as a prompt, they prompt go nuts. Prompt and a deadline? Yeah. That's all I need. That's, what, <laughs> Thank I, you I very much. that's journalism. Yeah. In a, in a, yeah. But I mean, so, so we did Sex and Chocolate and we did Jimmy and then I did one other one that I thought was a no-brainer that everyone would want, which was Alice in Wonderland. And we did... Um, it was called Alice Redo, and it was a, everything had to be about the characters, Wonderland, or did they or didn't they, Alice and Lewis Carroll. And it was very interesting what people did really? in that as well. And it was also, again, still poetry and 
fiction together. Um, fascinating book. Didn't sell at all until the Johnny Depp movie came out. <laughs> Boom. And then it took off. Um, and that was fun to do as well. So I was just kind of doing my, my niche things. Um, and I think one of the things, when you mentioned niche, I think to myself, we are in this era now where all the writers are blending the genres. So you have like sci-fi noir, a la Blade Runner. Right. And you have these things kind of coming together where people are just experimenting, like making a stew of all the different types of writing. And when I was growing up and I was first going to the library and sneaking into the adult section and they throw me back into the kids' room, I, I was, you know, I was going to write a Three Musketeers-like novel. I was going to write a Western. I was going to write sci-fi. I was going to do one of everything. And of course, in the marketplace, you can't do it. You've got to come up with a million pseudonyms. Unless you're so huge, you can do anything you want, right. like Stephen King or George Carroll Oates. Because that's the, they don't want, they want to know what you do so they can say, here's this guy, this is what this guy does. This is his brand. <laughs> yes. That's what he does. I am so sorry. So before we came on, I'm just going to out you a little bit. You're like, I don't think I could talk for half an hour, but we are out of time. Okay. And I, I am so sorry because it's, it's been an absolute genuine pleasure. So thank you so much. Thank you. So What's Your Story was produced by Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.